This is the Be On Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year we're exploring the book of Acts and then the rest of the New Testament in what we're calling a chronogeobiological flow. That is, we're following the chronology of the book of Acts and then veering off to the places, people, and topics addressed in Acts. And now we're in the second week of looking at one of those topics, and that's the, the book of Hebrews. Last week we took a look at the beginning of the book of Hebrews that proclaimed that Jesus was superior to the angels, fully God, but then made a little lower than the angels when he became flesh, fully human. We, one of the things we're, we're letting you know is that we're not covering all of Hebrews in the podcast, so if you want a little more insight into that, you might want to go and find the sermons on our, on our links. that You can you find that for our church, fishersumc.org, where we'll explain explore things like Jesus being superior to Moses and bringing a Sabbath rest, Jesus superior to Aaron and all of the priesthood that comes after that and his atonement for sin. And Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our our faith. But today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to take a look at a theme that is all throughout the book of Hebrews. And the theme is superiority or the word better. We, we know that Jesus is superior to the angels, superior to Moses, superior to Aaron, superior to everything in the Old Testament as is laid out, but also the word better is used repeatedly in the book of Hebrews. For example, here's a quick view of that. Here's some just some phrases. Better things. Chapter 6, verse 9. A better hope, seven nineteen. A better covenant, chapter 7, verse 22. Better promises, chapter 8, verse 6. Better sacrifices, 9, 23. Better possessions, chapter 10, verse 34. Better offering, 11, 4. A better country, eleven sixteen. A better resurrection, chapter 11, verse 35. Something better for us, eleven forty, And a better word, twelve twenty four. It's just a word that, that popped in my imagination as I was looking through this, like, better, 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 better. Why is Jesus better? Why is the gospel of Jesus better than anything else we could imagine in life? And I'm also thinking about the writer writing this as a Hebrew Christian, two people who were Hebrew Christians and had been really living their lives in a way that said that what they had in their Bible, the Hebrew Bible, was sufficient for everything, but this book reminds us that Jesus is superior to all of that and is better than anything else we could have in life. So before we dive into it, Ben, just if you think about the word better and and how that fits with the gospel of Jesus Christ, what comes to your mind? Jesus is the fulfillment of the ritual law that was present in the old covenant that there is no need to go out and, you know, slaughter lambs and goats and pigeons and, and everything else as a means to make atonement uh, for sin. And that those things really did not make atonement for sin, but pointed to the one who would ultimately once and for all make atonement for sin. And that is Jesus Christ. And so we see Christ as the ultimate fulfillment and in that better. The other aspect of it is, is the, the better covenant. And this is the second thing that when I think of uh, Jesus uh, being better or being uh, essential um, to uh, 
uh, our life with God. When we, we, the comparison between the Mosaic covenant and the new covenant that is secured in Christ, the Mosaic covenant was conditional. It was conditioned upon um, the people's obedience to God. That was going to be uh, through their faithfulness. They're, they're staying in the promised land. Their residence in the land of Canaan um, was conditional based upon their faithfulness. The new covenant that Christ secures for us is unconditional. The covenant itself is unconditional toward those who have received Christ. And so through Christ, we've experienced the unfailing love of God. We've experienced the forgiveness of God. We've experienced and, and we are guaranteed God's eternal embrace. And so we have, uh, ex- we, we have the promise then of a, an eternal home. And so not the, the temporal, physical uh, promised land, but a, a greater promise, a better promise that is secured uh, for us in Christ, an unconditional promise that is uh, heaven itself. Wow, that's, that's really well said. Let's take a look at a couple of these verses as we weave through. You, you hit the, the phrases of almost all of these, which is, which is brilliant. So let's take a look at those. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 18 and 19 says, the former regulation, and here he's talking about the Levitical priesthood and the regulations of biblical law. So there's a lot wrapped up in in that, that phrase, the former regulation. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. I love that, that sentiment there because it's about drawing near to God. It's about God drew near to us so that we can draw near to God. And it's not living in this constant fear that I'm going to do something wrong and I've, I've got to make continual sacrifices and the priests have to sacrifice daily to give me any kind of hope of being in right standing with God. It's a, it's a different kind of hope. It's, it's not a hope that somebody's going to, to do an act of sacrifice for me through the Levitical priesthood and all the regulations and all the things they had to do, but it brings us hope in life. And I, I love the, the sentiment of that that says we can draw near to God. Through Jesus Christ, we can, we can come to know God and allow God into our lives and be with God. We can... Jesus, Jesus at one point said, I call you my friends. That's a different kind of hope than sort of a distant God that no one can see, that a, that a priest does a sacrifice for you. And, and I think that's a, a, a bit of the point that the author of Hebrews is trying to make here. But I want to, I want to move into Hebrews 8 and get some, some interaction with you on this one. Hebrews 8, verse 5, and he's talking again about the priesthood and in particular, the high priest. And the high priest was, was the guy in charge, but he also would be the person who would go into the inner, inner part of the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, where he would make sacrifice once a year in the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And so he says here in Hebrews 8.5, high priests serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of of what is in heaven. 
That is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. There's a lot there. The ministry of Jesus is superior to the ministry of the high priests. The covenant of which Jesus is the mediator is superior to the old covenant, and it's established on better promises. The word better and superior are all throughout this passage. You talked about this a little bit here just a moment ago, but how does this bring insight into the superiority of Christ and and the covenant of Christ and the promises of Christ that are offered to us through his life? Yeah, there's so many things here. Even backing up real quick to to the Hebrew 7 uh, passage relative to the law and understanding that the law itself was perfect and good and holy, but the law could not save. And so it's a reminder uh, to us as we reflect upon that passage in Hebrews, and this is pointed out by Paul in Romans 3 and in in other places, but the law is what convicts us of of our sin. It, it, It reveals to us the, the need for a, a savior because we were never going to be because we were dead in sin and trespass we're guilty under the law um, we were not going to ever fulfill the law so it points to the one whom we needed in order to fulfill the law on our behalf and and in that Jesus is our faithful high priest because the high priest himself had to make a sacrifice not only for the sins of the people but for his own sin Whereas Jesus did not need to make a sacrifice for his sin because he was perfect in every way and fulfilled the law in every uh, way and then was able then to offer himself as the ultimate sacrifice. Um, And as he has been raised from the, the dead, it is a revelation to us, his resurrection is a revelation to us that no more sacrifices need to be made because Christ has effectively done the time for our crime. He's done the time for our sin. The debt itself has been paid uh, on our behalf. And so we're the recipients of this better promise um, through the the better uh, high priest, in essence. That's some powerful statements that you've made about who he is and what he has done for us. Here, I'm going to take a, I'm going to digress from Hebrews just a little bit. And and let's talk about when we when Christ has done all of this for us, and we're sort of removed from the need to sacrifice animals and the blood of animals on altars and and all of those things. Yet we still, in many ways, function in this sort of performative understanding of earning God's favor. Not everybody, but that's still prevalent among us. And I, and I see it with, with people who think if, if I only work real hard or serve in the church or give the right amount of offering or, or, or do, do whatever, a variety of things, I'll, I'll be made right with God. I see it among fellow clergy in, in my life and, and, and others, others' lives that can be a performance-based, in, in a sense, if, if I do well, if my church grows, if, et cetera, et cetera, then 
that's a sign of God's favor in my life. We, we don't have pigeons and doves and, and lambs uh, splattered on, on the altar anymore. But we, we do have other things kind of splattered on the, on the altars of our life. Why is it so hard for us to walk away from that, that mindset that we have to earn the favor of God? Or, or do you agree with me that we, we still struggle with that as, as a people? Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and part of that's probably uh, cultural context. Um, you know, we, we have the mentality of, of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. You know, we have the, the, and, and getting things accomplished on our own. We, we have, uh, the, the sense of, you know, uh, climbing the corporate ladder. And so, uh, we ultimately, so much of our life is built around earning the favor of another, uh, is, is so much of our life is, is striving, um, to, to make our own place in, uh, in this world. And so the notion that we're just going to release ourselves to the work of another um, is hard for us to, to digest because it cuts against everything that this world is about. I think the other side of that is that having been created in the image of God, we have a sense of God's justice. We have a sense of, of that which is right and wrong there is an aspect of the law that is written upon our hearts. When sin enters the world, um, that sense of perfect justice, of perfect law, uh, our sense of goodness is then shattered. And so things become distorted. And yet the, the, the presence of the law still exists upon our hearts to where there is a sense of, I need to make things right. Um, I know when I first came to Christ, one of the most difficult uh, things that I had to overcome was this sense that, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so dirty and awful. How can I even go to church today? And there were, there were times in life where, uh, you know, I would miss going to worship, going to church for two, three, four weeks because I had this sense that, I had messed up horribly and I needed to make myself right um, in order to step foot back into, into worship. And I think that uh, sometimes in, in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, um, we, we have this disposition where we look to the cross and we see the immeasurable love of God and we think to ourselves, how on earth could I have sinned? in the presence of God's immeasurable love toward me. And then rather than running to God's goodness and grace and allowing him to cleanse us, we feel this need to cleanse ourselves. And uh, so we get caught up in guilt and shame. And rather than experience the, the cleansing power of Christ's blood, we go off uh, in, in a very uh, fruitless manner and try to make things right on our own. It's a challenge to to figure out how to how to do that and, because there is a natural tendency to say I've got, I want to earn them my way I want to be right before I can as you said come into the, the sanctuary the presence of God and, and it becomes yet again I want to earn his favor and there's the flip side of that that's a, an equal tension that I, I see and some sometimes we we think well I've been saved by Jesus He's my savior. I don't really need a Lord. You talked about this in our last podcast. And so I'm going to live my life any way I want. 
and in complete liberty, which means licentiousness. It means like, I'll just do whatever I feel like doing. And so there's, there's a kind of a, a, a place in there where we don't, we don't want to say we can do whatever we want to, to go, you know, should we go on sinning that grace may abound? Like we don't want to do that. And so, but in that, we don't want to go on sinning, but we don't have to be perfect in order to come to God. And there's the, I think a natural tension in there. It feels like to me that we have to navigate or figure out how to how to navigate in life to totally rely on the goodness and love and grace of God for these words we're seeing in this study, a better hope, better promises, something better planned for us. We totally rely upon that, yet we don't use that as a, a license to live any way we want. And, and so how do you reconcile that tension that I think is very real for lots yeah, of people. That, that's where the love of God, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that the love of God compels us. That is, one has died for all, then we die for ourselves and, and live for him who died for us. And so, you know, you referenced the, the passage in Romans here a second ago, because Paul recognized that in writing Romans and in, in writing about, you know, God's immeasurable grace toward us, uh, he anticipates the question, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? And Paul says, by no means. And so to have encountered the depth of God's love toward us, the idea that I would presume upon that love and then go live however I want uh, is a contradiction within itself. It would be like a husband telling a wife, oh, you love me so much, so I, you know, I can go and... Uh, you know, engage in all the infidelity I want because you love me. That that's insane. That that is that cheapens uh, the love toward us. Um, I mean, ultimately, in a lot of ways, it despises the the love that's been poured uh, out to us to to live in that manner. And in relationship uh, to Jesus Christ, it minimizes what Christ endured. It minimizes the sin. Itself, God takes sin seriously. Uh, sin is brokenness. Sin is wretchedness. Why would we long for that which God does not approve of? And it's and and that which sent Christ uh, to the cross on our behalf. The notion that I can I can look at those things that God calls. Uh, wrong, the, those things that do not lead to wholeness, those things that are not born of love, and the idea that I can look upon those things and say, oh, well, you know, Jesus saved me, me and God, we're, we're all good, so I can go live however I want, um, that, that is a contradiction within itself, and it minimizes what Christ has done on our behalf. It does indeed. Hebrews 11, you referenced that earlier, like the, one of the chapters that people are familiar with, and Hebrews 11 is kind of the, the Hall of Fame. You know, it goes through all the Old Testament characters. But I like the very closing verses of that chapter, Hebrews 11, 39 and 40, and where, where the, the author of Hebrews says, these, and by that he means these heroes and martyrs of the Old Testament, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. There's something better 
is Christ and his sacrifice and, and him entering the temple, him, in essence, becoming the sacrifice, becoming the temple, becoming the altar, him being the one who did for us what no one else could ever do, this complete forgiveness of sin. And, and as you're describing here, setting us on a, a different course of life to be with him and, and love him forever and ever. And I just love that phrase, God had planned something better for us. And I often believe that we forget that God's got our best in his heart. He has good planned for us, and he wants the very best for his people. And that includes loving him and living for him in every kind of way. Now, I want to kind of, I want to go back through this list of the word, the word better and those phrases in the book of Hebrews. And I'd like to just close this, our time together with some discussion around these things. And we, we possess this. And here's my question. I'm going to ask it in advance. If we have this, how can we then take this knowledge that it's, we have this better everything and share it with our neighbor? share it with the world around us, proclaim the news that God has provided something better. So here, here's the things that's in the book of Hebrews, as it says, better things, a better hope, a better covenant, better promises, better sacrifices, better possessions, better offering, a better country, better resurrection, something better for us, a better word. How can we grab hold of that, Ben, and take this better gift of Jesus Christ, this superior to the angels, to everybody in the Old Testament, everybody in the New Testament, everybody in the history of the world, superior, this better gospel, and offer it to the world around us? I don't mean to simplify this, but the more we reflect Christ, um, the more we reflect that better love that we have received uh, to be somewhat a revelation of uh, of that better love uh, to the world. I think that's where we gain uh, a hearing, and so we we have the opportunity to reveal the uniqueness of Christ to our neighbor and how we care for our neighbor and how we love our neighbor and how we seek to live uh, selflessly. Um, both toward you know toward our our physical neighbor toward those that that we encounter uh, in life that we as a people um, are going to love not out of our excess but that we're going to love excessively, um, and so we we we've experienced this this better love this all consuming all satisfying love and so the the more we abide in that love the more we're satisfied in that love, the freer we become then to go and to share that love uh, with others. Because we're not, we're not sharing that love uh, for a pat on the back. Uh, we're not sharing that love. That love that we share is not then dependent upon the response of the recipient of that love. It's just that we ourselves have been the recipient of this better love. And so we just seek to share it and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, we've got the best news ever. Ever. And it's, it's better, it's best. And God has 
provided that for us in Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in us. And, and we are blessed to be able to share that better news. Well, if you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, and click on the Be On Mission link. That will take you to more elements in this year-long study of the mission of Jesus. If you want to stay up to date with the Be On Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next time, we're going to be going back into the book of Acts, and we'll see the church expanding into Samaria. Until then, may God bless. Mm-hmm.